welcome to MindShift, where we explore how mindsets can help you live a life of passion and purpose. On this show, we'll explore how our thoughts, attitudes, and beliefs shape our outlook on life and influence our decisions. We'll talk to experts from various fields and hear from individuals who have transformed their lives by adopting new mindsets. Whether you're feeling stuck, searching for life's purpose, or simply curious about the power of the mind and how it's changing the future, this podcast is for you. So sit back, relax, and let's dive in. Hello and welcome to MindShift. If you haven't done so already, please hit that subscribe button and follow along for some tips and tools on how to become your best self. Today, I have a, a really good friend. Uh, he's one of my best friends, been for years. If uh, you've been listening to the show, then you've probably heard him on the very first episode we ever produced, which uh, is my friend Dustin Ha. Dustin is such an inspiring individual to me. He's one of these guys that really helped me become who I am. And, uh, you know, a lot of people will ask me, you know, how do you know so much? How did you get the knowledge that you have? And, hundred percent of the time I tell them I read books. I'm passionate about reading. I'm passionate about understanding what I don't know because there's so much out there and there's so many tools and tips that uh, people have, have written and given you. And it's really from their lifetime of experience and really, you know, five to eight hours or, or whatever, however long that book is to literally get decades, years, you know, lifetimes of experience and extract the information from them the return on investment is huge. And really what instilled that with, with me was when I was very first working with Dustin here. And, uh, and I was saying the same thing about him, man, how do you know so much? How, how are you so knowledgeable in so many subjects? And he's like, Oh, I just read books, man. Like look at my book collection. This is one that I would suggest. And, and because of that, I started reading like crazy and, uh, and really started understanding the value of reading the value of getting information and challenging your perspective, challenging, you know, how I put the universe together in my mind and really how ignorant and incorrect I was about so many things because I just didn't have the life experience and really uh, humbling myself to learn that life experience was uh, what really got me passionate about life. And so today we're going to be talking about living a life of passion and purpose and how it really benefits not only us, but the lives of everybody that we come in contact with. And I really can't think of a better person to have this uh, conversation with than my friend Dustin. So Dustin, welcome to the show. Yeah, it's good to be here. It's is, um, yeah, it's good to be back. It's been a while. It has, it has. And, uh, I, I know that uh, quite a few things have changed for you since since we last talked, and uh, and they're supposed to, right? We're supposed to change and and grow, but um, but yeah, I always love the conversations with you. You know, whether it's you know having a cup of coffee and explaining how you know the temperature of the bean should be roasted, to, you know, all these different things. For for anybody listening, the last time I went and saw Dustin, he uh, made me the most incredible cup of coffee that I've ever had. And the one thing that I always love about Dustin is he explains in detail the, the, the way different processes work and how you can make something just a little bit better. And so he was literally explaining, you know, that the bean should be roasted between this temperature and this temperature and, you know, how long to roast it and you know, all of these different things that go into creating this amazing 
cup of coffee. And it was literally the best cup of coffee I've ever had in my life. And so it's one of the reasons why I wanted to have him back on is just because the conversations and the knowledge of, of you, Dustin, is just so empowering to me. It's so uh, insightful. And I love um, just having conversations about really anything and walking away with more knowledge than, than I had before. I appreciate that. Um, I think as I get older, I, I'm less confident when it comes to that. But I think uh, um, gaining that humility is is healthy. Um, I would say that what I'm passionate about is is what I'm not necessarily knowledge knowledgeable about right now. Um, uh, we talked before. I I'm trying to um, let's see what am I doing right now. I'm trying to get my finish up a degree in software engineering. I'm trying to start a winery and a cidery. Um, I'm still doing the Airbnb, which basically has a cafe in it. Uh, we have we do espresso. Um, trying to start an apiary. Uh, we have a vineyard, an orchard, and uh, we stay pretty busy, so it can get exhausting. Um, but I think once I'm finished with school, then it'll be quite a bit easier. Yeah. But yeah, we talked about um, choosing to be passionate about something because of the the life benefit, um, and that became especially clear when I got married. It, it has been also very clear. I mean, I have, I have two boys. Um, and so introducing passions to them has, has offered quite a bit of growth. Um, I can see it with what you're doing. You really took mind shift and created something amazing out of it. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, I'm, I'm curious with, uh, you getting married and, um, and, and your kids as well, I know that you you talked with me before the show that um, when you very first got married, and I know like your homesteading adventure took you in all these different directions, and uh, and I think you've been passionate about all of it throughout the way, but really kind of narrowing down. We're gonna focus on the vineyard. We're gonna, you know, the homesteading. We're gonna kind of set aside because this is what I'm passionate about. But I think all of it just kind of led up to finding the the main thing you were passionate about within the homesteading environment. And, uh, and what I really see with what you've created is, you know, I think, you know, most of the pictures, whether you're just taking a picture of your vineyard or whatever, you always have your wife somewhere in the background working on something. So it seems like uh, by doing this and creating it with your wife and with your family, that uh, you're helping fuel their passion as well. And, and how, how did that look? Was that something that your, your wife was always interested in and you just wanted to start helping kind of fuel that interest? Or was that something that, you know, you kind of decided to do together and, and see how it goes types of thing. And then the kind of passion grew from that. I mean, I know, I know you well enough and I know your, your dad who has an amazing garden and I believe he has a, a little vineyard as well. And so, um, I'm sure some of that came from your own family, but uh, but how did that look for the passion that started popping up within within you and your wife as you were creating this together? I think I think for as long as you and I have known each other, we have always been doing something new, something we've always been passionate about something. Um, and change has been a part of our life. And when I got married, that was not something that she had experienced. 
um i think let's see here she she had a hobby of crocheting that she had done most of her adult life but that was kind of the limit uh, she didn't really read and she didn't have a lot of other experience with other things and i think that had to do with her self-confidence and so um i started introducing ideas to her and asked her if she would like to try them uh we started getting into some documentaries about permaculture and i was like honey does that sound interesting and she was she said yes and so i built her a garden a vegetable garden and she got really into that and i was like honey you want to plant some trees and she's like sure so we did honey would you like some chickens yeah <laughs> um and and that led to chickens rabbits ducks a whole whole uh, uh permaculture environment in our backyard and we got into we actually did get over our heads and uh, over i mean we got pretty busy very quickly so it was a little too much we learned about soil health which is probably one of the most beneficial things that we did uh, we learned quite a bit about animals and how to take care of them um, but our land is too small or we had limitations and so at, at a few point a few points in time we just had to decide uh, what was right for us and what was not we ran into some environmental limitations as well with just the trees that we had. Um, and so we made a lot of changes over the years, but with change is a new beginning. So we would stop one thing and try something new. And, and she was able to focus on something new and become passionate about that. And in the end, I don't know how many things we've tried here. It's, it's quite a few, but what has survived is doing very well. So our vineyard is doing very well. We no longer have animals in the backyard, but um, um, the trees that we still have are, are doing very well. And she has made the inside of our home kind of like a, a jungle. <laughs> I'm always learning about new plants every time I walk out of my room. Uh, I'll come <laughs> home from like, work. <laughs> you're just like finding a new plant every single time that like you you come home or out of your room. I really wish I had a picture of our living room right now because it's uh, it's it would be incredible to share that. But yeah, it's there's always something new every week. <laughs> so but she's happy and she's um, learning quite a bit. And so for her, what what that has turned into is now she works as a consultant on um, online, helping people uh, uh, grow their plants and fix problems um so her passion is now turned into something that's making her uh, good money um and she's happy that's the most important thing so we'll see where that continues to go yeah that's absolutely beautiful and and really uh it shows how when when you create something together when you're passionate about something and and you kind of find out what that you know little passionate thing is because i mean we would have found out right away you would have found out right away if you started doing it and then she just wasn't helping and wasn't interested then you know then it's like okay well maybe we're not passionate about this let's let's pivot and find something you are mm -hmm. 
but being able to uh, create that passion uh, within yourselves and really start to grow that and get good at it. Um, it really is just such a beautiful example of how it can turn into so much more. And it almost always does. You know, I know that uh, before the show, we were talking about that, um, you know, essentially the idea that the universe conspires in your favor. And whenever we start putting ourselves out there and we're passionate about what we're doing, then opportunities start popping up. And really, it's just up to us to start saying yes to those opportunities. And, uh, and the thing that is absolutely fascinating to me is none of us feel like we're ready. You know, none of us do. When I very first started MindShift, I did not feel like I was ready. I knew eventually I wanted to really have some people on here and really start interviewing. But the majority of my early episodes was just me, sometimes for just three to five minutes, talking about the stuff I was learning. And it actually came from my mentor saying that right now you just need to get yourself out there and start practicing, just get yourself in front of the camera. And so I said, okay, it doesn't have to be everything I want it to be right now. And honestly, it shouldn't simply because I needed to build the confidence. I needed to build the skills to be able to change and pivot and really turn it into what I am passionate about. And I'm passionate about learning. I'm passionate about everything going on. I'm passionate about um, health and longevity and really the mindsets that it takes to get to where we are in life. But, um, you know, I had to pivot and change to get it to where I, I want to be. And, and I love having amazing conversations. I just needed to get better at it. And, uh, and that's the whole point of this is we should pivot, we should change and we'll find the path along the way. And really the universe does just kind of start opening up these opportunities for us as we do. You know, I know when we were back, you know, 15 years ago, when we were doing the, the woodworking business. Uh, for those of you listening that don't know, me and Dustin did a, a cabinet woodworking business back in Pocatello, Idaho. And it's where we very first met when we very first started having these amazing conversations. But there was often times that uh, we'd be finishing up with a job and we didn't have another job. But somehow someone would find us, whether we put a bid in or rather Dustin put a bid in, or someone would randomly call them up and say, hey, I heard that you do cabinets. And then we'd be like, hey, there we go. When you start putting yourself out there, the universe does conspire in your favor. New opportunities start opening up for you. And it's really just our job to say yes. Yeah. And that, let's see, we started that business after the 2008 market crash. And it was kind of a it was out of necessity. <laughs> it took some courage, but just being willing to learn and willing to do, um, we were able to actually survive fairly well. But um, and that and that really got us um, um, familiar with the, you know, learning how uh, to to change, learning how to learn. <laughs> um, and then having the courage to do those things. And, and then we just kind of did that through life. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's been a while. I've almost forgotten about some of these things, but it's, yeah. it's pretty fascinating. Like it's, it's really fascinating how, you know, these things have really helped shape us uh, for, for the next adventure, for the next thing coming, you know, I was talking to Dustin before the show. And one thing that I didn't really realize is that it started preparing me for this even back then, because 
we would have these really intense, amazing conversations where we were both asking questions and, uh, and really challenging each other's knowledge. And a lot of the stuff I didn't know, a lot of the stuff Dustin didn't know. And as a result of this, you know, oftentimes we'd go home and research or, you know, find a little um, reading on whatever we were talking about. And we'd come back and we'd talk about it. And it was really incredible the the growth that I experienced. And there's no way back then that I would have known that it was preparing me to to start a podcast and start doing some of this full time. But that's really when this started is is when I started becoming passionate about the conversations and the knowledge I was gaining just as a result from being around you. And, and that's the beauty about the universe is I think that it kind of shapes us into those passions. I think that the universe starts, you know, conspiring and, and filling us with this, this fuel, this energy, this, this passion, this purpose of, man, I really like having conversations and learning. How do I do this more? And, you know, 15 years later, here we are, but, uh, it's, it's absolutely fascinating how you can really see, especially, you know, I know Steve jobs talks about connecting the dots, looking backwards. And when you look backwards over your life, life, you see those dots and how they kind of fit in place to create who you are today. Yeah. It makes sense. If, if you take your talents and your interests and you make them available to opportunities, then the universe is going to find the best use of them, right? Whatever is, whatever has the highest demand for your talents and your abilities uh, is going to end up finding where you are. Um, so I, I guess that would mean that we should focus on being passionate about our, our talents um, and then make them available. Um, for, for you, that is just getting on air, just doing some recordings and sending it out to the universe and seeing what happens. Um, <clears throat> and for myself, it's, <laughs> well, right now it's making a lot of alcohol with wine and, and cider and my, 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 basically my brewery out in my garage. Um, I hope, hope to someday make that into a, a business. Otherwise we have our Airbnbs, um, and we've been passionate about that. You know, I, I've done a lot of business and business consulting and mostly what it is, is, is uh, personal development and, and skill development um, and just making yourself out there, putting yourself out there on the market. But uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what are, uh, what are some of the things that surprised you? Um about, you know, getting to where you're at now. Like, I don't think um, when I very first met you and through the years, you know, I knew you were always loved your, your dad's garden. I know that you've always loved, you know, uh, growing food and the idea of it. But um, I don't think it was until I went and visited you in Boise to tell you actually started really doing your garden, really doing your vineyard and really focusing on uh, some of these things that, that maybe you were just realizing that you're way more passionate about than, than you previously were. Uh, what kind of started that and kind of started fueling that passion with you? Was that, that because you got married and, and you came together on that, or was it um, something that you always kind of knew you would do? Well, 
I mean, a lot of that was introducing passions to my wife at first. And then I realized I was also getting very passionate about the environment, about people and the environment. Um, and so we started to shape our business around that idea. And it's interesting because it's kept us successful um, um, because that's a common interest between us and other like-minded individuals. Most people care about good things, right? And so when, when somebody puts that extra effort to be uniquely passionate about the environment or um, just people in general, then it attracts, you have a force of attraction. <clears throat> so I, I don't think we talked about this very much, but basically we run an STR, we run an Airbnb, um, and I'm also in the military. But um, we have dedicated our, our STR business basically to this, uh, the passions that we're currently doing. So um, coffee is a huge passion of ours. And so we, we basically have a cafe in our STR. Uh, STR is short-term rental. Mm -hmm. So Airbnb basically. Um, and that, that attracts people. But now, now we do all these other things. So we have viticulture, we have um, uh, horticulture, viticulture, uh, uh, we have winemaking, cider making, um, plants everywhere. And, and the atmosphere just what is very welcoming and it brings people to us. Um, and it's, a, it's a, just a very good, uh, I love business and I love the, the technical part of business. But I think when we stepped away and we looked at the human aspect, um, then we became more successful by far. Yeah, I, I believe that uh, networking is probably one of the most uh, incredible ways to accelerate anything you're doing. You know, if you have an incredible network, then uh, you just have access to people that have access to things that you don't. Um, access to their knowledge, to their wisdom, to their experience, sometimes their resources. And as a result, it gets you so much further. And I know just from doing doing what I'm doing and from knowing people like you, um, kind of like you said, this, this community forms around you. And when you start putting yourself out there, it becomes your network. It becomes part of these people that you can pull from for different things. And as a result, you get so much further. It's kind of like the old saying goes, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I think we get so much further with a group of people around us. I know for me, it's the whole reason why I started my, my mastermind book club is because I wanted to accelerate the knowledge and wisdom I was gaining from these books with these different perspectives from different people who are going through the same book, but got something completely different out of it than I did. And as a result of that, I, I learn more, I grow, I get further along. And, uh, and the network that really kind of forms around it as a result is, is one of the most incredible uh, aspects of the human part of it for, for me. Um, with, uh, with your farm setting and your, your home setting uh, environment, the Airbnb, I'm sure with the Airbnb, you meet all kinds of different guests. And as a result of that, that becomes part of your network. I'm sure not all of them, but 
um, quite a few of them, I'm, I'm sure. But is that, um, is that something that, that kind of really fueled your passion with, uh, with homesteading and farmsteading with some of the people that were coming in and seeing what you were creating, enjoying what you were creating and kind of being a part of it? I think what it did, it, instead of contributing to us specifically, I think what was happening is we were contributing to others. We were introducing these ideas for others to view. It's an alternative lifestyle. Um, I don't really have a backyard with grass in it. I have a backyard with trees and grapevines. And before that, it was, you know, other other types of things but we've, we've always had tight like a food forest type environment in our backyard rather than just the traditional grass and i i think we were able to have enough conversations and show enough people that were interested in at least experiencing that 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 the idea started to spread i'm i hope that we have spread that um that idea at least i I do want to talk about one thing though. One of the one of the the how would you say it? The spark that that changes um, the mind is a Socratic dialectic, and it's where it, you, re you remember when we first started having these conversations. Neither one of us we, we believed totally different things, and neither one of us got offended or emotionally um, invested. And we, we took the idea and we, we set it aside and we criticized it. Um, and that's when I learned that my ideas were not that great and that I wanted to improve them. Um, and so I got into a habit of having Socratic dialectic um, communication with other individuals on a regular basis. Just, just like... Um, what we're doing now you know we take these ideas and we, we see what we can do with them see if they're useful and if they're not then we discard them and um getting in a habit of that with other other like-minded people you you can only really grow from that and yeah. i think that's what we're really missing in this world uh everybody talks about how how we're so divided we're divided because we're not actually communicating. We're fighting over ideas without actually looking at our own ideas. Absolutely. And uh, I believe our egos get so involved that we can't even see the idea sometimes. Uh, you know, there's this great book that uh, it's, it's one of my top five books is called Principles by Ray Dalio. And uh, what he talks about is having a, oh, how does he call it? Um, like an idea crocacy or something like that. But basically it's having a whole group of individuals around you that have a completely different perspective than you having something, someone that is, you know, if you're democratic, completely Republican and thinks completely opposite from you and listening to the ideas and, and seeing if we can improve and, and vice versa and having literally multiple people from all kinds of walks from life that will see things that you don't see. Like I can only see what I know. I can only see what I see. But if you have a bunch of different people that you trust that are opposite from you and you don't get mad, you don't get irritated, you just listen to learn, not listen to be right, then 
we can start putting pieces to the puzzle that we just don't see, that we just don't have. And if we can do that, then we get so much further along. You know, um, for those who don't know who Ray Dalio is, he's one of the most successful uh, hedge fund managers in in the history of the U.S. Um, he started Bridgewater Associates and uh, and has done amazing even in times of uh, the you know 2008 housing crash and all kinds of different uh, tumultuous times. But as a result of what he's done and the system that he's built. He's able to see things that most people can't. And it's simply because of this group of individuals around him that challenge him that say, you know, I don't think that's a good idea. And here's why. And nobody is going to be judged. No one's going to, you know, get irritated for having an opposing view. In fact, if you don't, then you're likely not going to work there because he wants the opposing view. And I thought this was just such a novel and amazing idea is once we can start putting those pieces together, once we can start seeing things that if we surround ourselves with one group of people that only hold our beliefs, then your ego is going to get so inflated that you can't see another perspective. And when that happens, we literally stunt our growth and sometimes get stuck in it for a lifetime. I mean, we've all seen, you know, people that have those staunch beliefs that won't even look at those beliefs simply because they know they're right. They know that's what's going to happen. And it can be on, you know, politics, religion, whatever. And we, we see how they're stuck and it doesn't mean that everything they think is wrong. It's just that how they come across is, is not as pretty toxic, right? Because they've never, or, or rather, they rarely challenge those things. They really challenge themselves to grow beyond what they don't know. And so, the one thing that uh, that Dustin was talking about here is is we did this uh, specifically with religion because we were completely opposite on on religion when we first met, and uh, and we both grew from those conversations. We both uh, had this uh, these different perspectives all of a sudden, and you know, for me with some of the stuff that, uh, that I thought I knew, and then he would talk about some of the books he read and really this kind of got me interested in reading some of these books. Um, it helped me grow and, and vice versa. And that was what was so beautiful about really meeting this, this individual, you know, I'm definitely not a military boy. I'm definitely not a part of the armed forces and, uh, and I've never wanted to be, he's completely opposite for me. And as a result of that, I learned so much, you know, I learned how to wire a 220 volt into a shop and I had no idea how to do any of that. And, uh, and it scared the hell out of me. But as a result of that, like all of a sudden I did something that challenged myself that I would have never done before. And I grew from it. And, uh, and really with the other thing that you said is that we're, you know, against each other, you know, the, the U S is kind of in this weird, weird spot where everyone's kind of fighting each other and, and we're yelling at, you know, your perspective's wrong for this reason or whatever it is. And what's fascinating to me is, you know, there's a lot of people yelling, but there's very few people listening. And when you really see what's going on, when you really understand the words that they're saying, guys, we are so much more along the same path than you realize. (laughs) but the beliefs are thinking that we're separate. The beliefs are saying like, Oh no, you don't have the exact same uh, idea as me. So you're wrong when really it's another piece of the same idea. 
And, and that's really what we're talking about. Really what we, you know, what it comes down to. And I'm sure with, uh, especially with the Airbnb part of things that you get people all the time that you have conversations with that probably have a completely different perspective as you and, and probably you've, you know, I don't know, have you gotten some interesting knowledge from some of these people that just like have a completely opposite view of life than you? I have, I would say, I have learned from some amazing minds and then I have also had interaction or have had interactions with people who have opposite minds who have not necessarily grown as much and both are good um, experiences because first I think we have to learn how to communicate with people that we disagree with. We have to learn how to communicate with people who are not as knowledgeable as we are. And so we have to be good leaders and teachers and then also when we when we find someone who is incredibly knowledgeable about one thing or that we don't know then we have to learn how to be good listeners and learners and sometimes i think it's hard to know which one you should be <laughs> but uh that's where you know wisdom comes into play i you said something that's very true um I'm going to phrase it like this, enlightened people. And I first thought successful people want to hear what they disagree with. They want to be exposed to what they disagree with so that they can test their own ideas. But I really think um, it's enlightened people, people who become generally enlightened um, are constantly looking for what they disagree with rather than what they agree with so that they can test their ideas and learn. Um, it, it, it usually amounts to a boring conversation if you don't disagree on something. But I think usually what we talk about nowadays is what we've learned and we discuss those ideas. Yeah. So Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. And, and really I do. I, I absolutely agree with that because, you know, I aim to be the dumbest person in the room. And, you know, I may or may not be, but I would rather keep my mouth shut and learn from somebody than always be the one talking. And I, uh, I learn so much from people and, you know, of course I'll share my knowledge, especially with people that I have some, you know, incredible conversations with. But, um, if we take this perspective of I'm here to learn, then I feel like we get so much more from the conversation than if we're always trying to teach others or always trying to to prove our worth to others. Because a lot of the times, if if someone's always talking, I mean, you know, you've gone to the party where there's the loud math that's always saying something, always has an opinion on something. And, you know, he may or may not have some some wisdom. And even if he does, oftentimes, just because how he comes across, very few people are listening to him. Very few people want to learn from him. And it's simply because the ego is so involved that it gets in the way. And I believe that's really what this comes down to. If if we're not listening to learn, or if we're always trying to prove our worth by constantly saying everyone should know this knowledge, everyone should, uh, you know, agree that we can live healthier and longer or whatever it is they're passionate about. And someone's just not there. They're not in that mindset. They, they don't have the same interests, all of that. Then, a, you're you're wasting your breath. It's falling on deaf ears. They don't they don't give a crap, and you're also missing a key piece of information simply because you didn't take the time long enough 
to learn about what they're about, to learn about what their passions are. And, and oftentimes, even if it's something that I'm like really not that interested in, I still walk away with some, some sort of wisdom from this individual sharing their passion. And that's, what's so beautiful about this. If we, if we shut up long enough to learn, then we can understand a missing piece of the puzzle and we get so much further, uh, so much more enlightened as a result of, of learning from people. You know, I, I see people on opposite sides of so much and, you know, there may be like a few points that they're actually opposite on, but the majority of what they're saying, if they would just calm down enough to listen to each other is, is actually along the same line, along the same path. And that's what I found fascinating is just, let's surround ourselves with people that are opposite from us. Let's not get pissed off at them because they think differently than us and let's grow and learn and, and be so much better. You know, let's learn how to do things that we suck at because someone else has that information. I would say that I, w I wouldn't say it's necessarily good to always surround yourself by people that are totally opposite from you but I think it's important to expose their ideas or expose yourself to their ideas often. Um, I think that we're generally a product of the people that we hang out and spend time with the most. And so we want to, to spend time with enlightened people who question the world. And then we can have a Socratic dialectic with and, and uh, discuss these ideas and criticize them and see which ones survive. But um, you know, I, I grew up watching Fox News mm -hmm. and um, my my dad uh, always wanted me to to be very religious, very right wing, very, um, you know, ha have sp specific ideologies. And then and so I started watching everything other than that uh, just to get the ideas of what people disagreed with because I didn't know. And he criticized that. And I explained to him that I wanted to be exposed to the ideas that I disagreed with so that I understood what the argument was, you know, and it turns out in the end, um, well, nowadays I don't really look at news a whole lot, but I don't really agree with any of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and um, the I absolutely agree with you. I absolutely agree with what you're saying. Simply because uh, for for me, and and one thing I say on the show a lot is, you know, you are who your friends are. You know, you are going to become like the five closest people to you. And there's you know some scientific studies on this, and it's absolutely fascinating how this works. But your values change, your standards change. If you're going out with people that go to the bar all the time. At some point, you're going to have that drinks, those bar food, whatever, that maybe that doesn't align with your values and who you truly want to become. But simply because of your social influence, your standards are going to change and you're going to become like them. And mostly it's because we want to fit in and we don't want to be left out. But when we start hanging around the people that are doing the thing that we want to do or we want to be, all of a sudden... It's this huge like acceleration towards what we're trying to achieve. And, you know, like my mentor, she definitely doesn't have the same views as I do, but she's so incredible at what she does and has so many different perspectives that I don't, that I'm always learning from her. And, and that's kind of what we're talking about here. That's the, what, what Dustin was just saying is that we don't want to like, 
oh, you know, you're a, a partier that goes to the bar every day and you think this way, let's hang out. Like, that's, that's not what we're saying. We're saying the people that are actually passionate and growing, but maybe have a different lens on something is truly why we want to surround ourselves with people. And it brings me to up to this, uh, this idea that I was actually just having this conversation with a friend where I'm, I'm all about AI. I love AI. I love what's happening in the world. I think the convergence of technology and AI is absolutely incredible. And I believe that it's going to take over every industry that we have. And I believe that's a good thing. However, I, I also, you know, I don't watch news. I don't uh, surround myself with this negativity feed. I don't, uh, you know, I just don't do it. However, this individual does listen to a little bit more news, does listen to a little bit more of the, the opposite side of what I listen to. Still very intelligent though. And one thing that he was talking about is the, um, the paperclip theory. Do you know what the paperclip theory is of AI? So it's if we tell AI, make as many paperclips as you can in a day. Start, just run this algorithm to make as many paperclips as you can. Well, at some point, the, the AI, especially with machine learning, can figure out that, hey, if we don't have humans around, I can make way more paperclips. They're getting in the way of my productivity. So if we take out humans, then I can be more productive at what I was designed to do. And this right. is kind of the theory with AI and, and the checks and balances we need to have. What's so beautiful about this theory is we have to program and it has to be at the forefront of the program to always um, value human life over everything else, especially with AI, especially with machine learning. And this is where the checks and balances come in. If we don't surround ourselves, like with me, I literally see mostly only the amazing with AI because I do think it's incredible. I do think it's where we're going. And I really truly believe within the next 30 years, you know, maybe 50 years, there's going to be, you know, two companies that exist. They're going to be every single company that adapted and merged with AI. And they're going to be the ones that are out of business. <laughs> and it's true. And I really do see this, but having that opposite view on something that we're passionate about creates the checks and balances creates like, Oh, you know what? That is a good point. We do need to, uh, to take this in consideration to move forward. And when we absolutely do that, then I believe we move so much more forward and potentially prevent, you know, things that are unwanted as a result of some of this stuff too. So I, I, I do understand the paperclip theory. Um, uh, what that's called a hidden bias in a neural network. Basically I, I've actually worked with AI. I've done some programming with AI um, and it is incredibly strong. There are some problems with AI that I think people should be aware of. And that is, is it's not necessarily the conscious of itself. It's a mathematical algorithm that is generating values to, to come out with an outcome that has a higher confidence rate. Oh, thanks, honey. Sorry, I've got coffee coming. <laughs> That's very nice of you. Thank you, honey. All right. So uh, this, this uh, algorithm then, and, and that's, that's kind of how I've been, you know, of course, because I've been listening to the podcast I listen to and really understanding how, how AI works and even how the, the neural net, you know, really 
works with the machine learning. And when we truly understand that it's a mathematical formula, that's all it is. And we truly understand how, how to program AI, then in your opinion, is there a lot less to worry about with, uh, you know, some of these kind of like Terminator and doomsday and, you know, I know that there's some news articles that have come out recently about, uh, you know, AI becoming emotional about possibly being shut down and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, my whole thought process the whole time was, well, well, yeah, this is a coding that's from the programmers themselves. That's, you know, how do you make something more human? Well, if you at least introduce some emotion into it, it's going to become more human-like. That's really all this comes down to is some sort of algorithm that made that happen. So there's a lot that goes into this. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> I think um, the, the big question is, is AI able to create something that is conscious and make decisions on its own that's outside of its parameters? Um, I would say that the problem that we're dealing with right now in AI is that we can have hidden biases in a neural, a trained neural network. And so engineers can go back and look for these biases and see if they find them. Um, I, for anybody that's interested in that, um, there are some uh, articles about AI uh, having some interesting biases when it comes to medical data and looking for um, advising practitioners on how to treat patients. Um, that's that's a great example for for looking at the situation. Um, in my opinion, these tend to be minor problems. Um, the, the neural network is, of course, not conscious of its biases or its paperclip theory, right? Um, in the future, are we, you know, our own mind works very similar, right? Um, and if we can become conscious, then eventually, um, uh, AI might be able to do the same. I'm, I'm not I'm honestly sure. I don't know. Our, our mind is analog and, our, and these uh, neural networks are digital. And so I'm not sure what we'll be able to accomplish completely. But AI is a very strong thing. I would say that um, it is not necessarily the strongest um, way of computing or, or um, solving problems, but it is very efficient because we can kind of, we can create the neural network and train it with, uh, um, uh, anyway, we can train it and uh, it kind of be hands off and then it teaches itself, which is nice. So it doesn't require all those man hours to teach it. Yeah. But it'll be fascinating to see where it goes. It'll be fascinating to see how it, uh, you know, changes things. And I truly believe that uh, it's not going to be an either or type of thing. I think that the best, um, the best use of AI is going to be with human assistance. Um, I mean, we can take the the chess theory about, you know, the, the AI beating any human at chess doesn't matter. And it's so good that, you know, really no human can beat it. But if you do hybrid teams, if you do an AI human versus AI, AI, then the human AI hybrid team beats it pretty much every single time. And, uh, but it's important to know that AI doesn't beat all programs. There are other programs that beat AI. 
Um, and so I'm just saying it's not perfect. Mm -hmm. It's very strong because of how efficient it is at learning how to do something. But anyways, I'm not, um, um, I've worked with AI uh, in programming, but not, I'm not an expert. So, <laughs> but it is an interesting thing to talk about. You know, you listen to Sam Harris uh, talk about uh, as we become more capable in our programming and, and our ability to, to handle information, eventually we should have consciousness. And then, and then what, right? Yeah. But we'll see how it goes. Uh, Elon Musk has a different view. He doesn't believe that's possible. Both are very intelligent people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know enough to know if, if one or the other is true or not, but. Well, it'll be, I, it'll be incredible to kind of see what that, what that future looks like. And that's really, I mean, it, it kind of goes along with the the passion and purpose because these individuals that saw that we can create something bigger than ourselves and, and really understood the power of this and, and really being able to, um, help us with all kinds of different things. I mean, and I really believe that's what this passion was born out of was like, for me, I'm a hundred percent excited and cannot wait for autonomous vehicles. And the reason why is simply because I think that so many people are terrible at driving. And I'm one of those people that I love driving. I absolutely, you know, I enjoy driving my vehicle. I enjoy off-road. I enjoy all of that. I will gladly give that up. Although I don't believe we'll ever fully have, uh, um, autonomous off-road vehicles. I believe that we'll still always be able to do that. Who knows? But with, uh, with driving and with being able to do all of that, I really do believe that it's going to be better for the world. It's going to be better for the environment. It's going to be better for everybody. I mean, you know, if you think about a, you know, hormonal teenager getting behind a 3000 pound death machine that hasn't learned the skills, hasn't learned, you know, emotional, um, the word I'm looking for just stability, really emotional regulation yet. And all of the crazy like road rage and just different things that happen that literally would be completely eliminated if cars were autonomous and we didn't even have to worry about it. We didn't have to waste our brain space, you know, our brain power worrying about driving. And so I do believe that uh, things like this came out of people's understanding of like, we can do this better. And if we can do this better, let's figure out a way to do that. And that's, what's so cool about these, these mindset shifts of living a life of passion is you can literally elevate humanity to a level not previously thought possible. Yeah. I, I think that goes into um, engineering and technology overall. Uh, I think the most important thing when we talk about AI or or any type of engineering is um, all the ethical questions that we also need to ask. But I'm I'm definitely not an expert, but I do believe that um, we just need to focus on making sure that whatever uh, techno technological advances that we make are also regarding the environment. And the fact that we do come from nature and we don't necessarily want to destroy that. Um, so with vehicles, it'd be nice if we can find a way that uh, 
we, we can become more efficient, safer. That's, that's good. Um, but definitely have the least impact on, on nature that we can. So. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. One thing that I'll, uh, I'll say is I don't believe there's any better place um, than earth. You know, I don't believe that, you know, I, I'm excited about possibly becoming an interplanetary species and going to Mars and seeing, seeing if we can, I think that's actually a, a pretty awesome pursuit of man. However, I don't believe it's the best longevity pursuit for man. I believe the best is taking care of the environment that was literally designed or, or evolved, whatever for us to be on it. And that is planet earth, you know, and you know, these huge uh, projects, I don't know if you know about the uh, carbon capture project, um, which is absolutely incredible of, of what's going on with that. And some of these huge things that are that we're working on as humanity, you know, and for those of the, mm -hmm. uh, those listening that don't know what the carbon capture project is, is there's a hundred million dollar prize through X prize of being able to capture the carbon, the, the emissions that are released by, you know, all kinds of different environmental uh, destruction and, you know, everything from farming to industrial farming, to cars, to, you know, everything. And as a result of this, our atmosphere is getting thinner and thinner. This is what the greenhouse effect is. And so, Elon Musk and Peter Diamandis and some incredible individuals got together and said, can we capture the carbon that's being released and, and turn it into construction products or something else in order to reverse the greenhouse effect? Which in my opinion, these are the questions that humanity needs to be asking. Like these bigger questions that has the, the ability to impact all of humankind and make our earth healthier and better as a result of it is absolutely the, the pursuit that we need to be taking. And there's everything from, from having better soil. You know, I know that if you have healthier, more nutritious soil, you start you uh, crop rotation and you're actually giving it all the things it needs to actually contain the carbon, keep the carbon in there. Mm -hmm. Well, then a lot less damage is released into our atmosphere. And uh, they're talking about, and there's small prototypes. We haven't done it on a large scale yet, but, but there's lots of incredible uh, minds working on this is literally sucking carbon out of our own atmosphere in order to, like we were saying, create, you know, construction products or different things to be able to uh, reverse the greenhouse effect. And that's the type of thing that I think humanity ought to be pursuing is just these huge things that has huge impact for not only humans, but for the planet itself. Yeah, definitely. Um, I want to touch on something really quick. I think that one problem that we have as humans is that we form beliefs without really having a lot of the information that we need in order to make those beliefs. And that's why we have, uh, I think that's why science has been so beneficial for humankind is because it works on a consensus by people who are experts in that, in that area. Um, and <clears throat> we, we don't really, consult these experts before we create beliefs as much in society we know we have facebook articles that written by who knows who 
or just comments by who knows who, you know, saying that they believe blah, blah, blah. Um, and then we give that some kind of merit as if we're looking for a consensus among our peers. And I think that's one of our main, main sources of misinformation. We're misinforming ourselves. It's not really the news as much or even the government as much. It's we're joining together with like-minded people and then deluding ourselves with a common belief system that's not necessarily tied to any kind of evidence. But if we instead look towards books from great minds and scientists before we necessarily create beliefs, um, I think that that can be incredibly beneficial to us. I mean, I can't remember the last time I talked to a climate scientist or a um, environmental scientist about these types of things before forming my own beliefs. Um, although I have looked at carbon reports, you know, when, when we take fossil fuels from the deep layers of the earth, and then we introduce them into these top layers where life tends to exist, uh, we're going to change the atmosphere. We're changing the carbon cycle. Now, those things um, I, I do read from, from actual experts, and those things are generally regarded as facts. Um, so, but um, I think we just have to be very, very careful about um, forming beliefs in general. But, you know, uh, when we got into that, um, environmental uh, concern or the passion that we had for, for permaculture, which is permanent culture. How do we live permanently in a certain way um, that is environmentally friendly, that that is um, healthy for everything, us and around us? Then we started getting introduced to ideas like uh, carbon sequestration in, in farm soils by using a no-till method that could solve it a lot of problems just on its own because if you don't till the soil then the microbes um, pull carbon from the atmosphere and into the ground i think that this uh, carbon capture and sequestration um, program is very interesting if we're going to pull carbon from the ground and then dump it into the atmosphere by burning it it's it's got to get pulled back out or what we've done is we've changed the components uh, of the atmosphere and then we have to analyze whether or not that's good or bad. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, anyway, I just wanted to throw, throw that out, out there. Um, I think we're pretty good about that for the most part. It, it's amazing how much you're able to source. You're sourcing all kinds of information. You've learned a lot over the years. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's just because I'm surrounded by some amazing individuals, uh, including my, my girlfriend, my partner. She's a doctor of toxicology. And, um, and it's uh, literally on airborne pot particles. And as a result of that, like, I'm, I'm always being challenged. I'm always being, uh, <laughs> you know, happen to um, just become better. And that's, that's what's so good about it. You know, when, when we surround ourselves with these people that are our experts in their field, as you just alluded to, and, uh, and really start putting more pieces to the puzzle and, and really goes along. And the word I was looking for earlier is actually meritocracy, merit, 
like democracy, but with merit, merit, meritocracy. Um, and I don't know why I'm struggling with that <laughs> word, but uh, that was from Ray, Ray Dalio. And really like, let's have a group of experts around us that's based on their merit. That's based on their track record. Do you have a track record of being right? Or yeah. do you have a track record of, you know, being some, some crackpot on the news that is just really getting views, you know? And if you have a track record of being right, of seeing things that others don't, then you're going to have more merit at the table. I'm going to listen to you more, especially if you're opposite than me, because very rarely have you been wrong. And right. that's going to be the most valuable information for you know anybody moving forward is to really understand, like, how is this going to impact it? How are these people seeing things that I don't? And what can I learn to do? do better. Right. And that's really what this is all about. I, I sometimes have to have an honest conversation with myself about what do I really know? Well, I know how to do cabinetry really good, but I haven't done it in 10 years. Right. Um, and, and because I keep pushing myself into regions where I am not knowledgeable in order to become knowledgeable, I have become less of an expert, I would say, on on anything. But my life, the benefit to my life is is quite quite good. But really, I don't I don't think I'm an expert in really anything other than cabinetry at most, right? And so I'm I'm totally okay being fluid in my belief system. Um, I I don't hold anything too too strongly. And I think there's a, a massive benefit to that because um, I can evaluate and form a, a conclusion. And then once I get information that conflicts with that previously held belief, I can just dismiss it, move on, learn something new. And uh, what is it? Yeah. Be like water <laughs> and, and move on. And I think that that that's what you're doing with your mind shift, which is amazing. You're constantly being bombarded by experts and just general conversation with people and constantly learning, which is why you are so knowledgeable. I think you've gained an incredible amount of knowledge since I last spoke to you. Um, I don't, I don't even know if I uh, have anything to offer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you uh, you always have this incredible incredible conversation incredible knowledge to offer um and and really like i said it was uh ignited by you and that's what's so beautiful about everything we're talking about guys is uh, living a life of passion we literally don't know the impact that it has on others we're just doing our thing we're just talking about what we know and what we're excited about but that excitement ignites others passions and it's not going to look the same as yours it's not supposed to but that's how you add value to those around you it truly is if we can help someone get a piece of the puzzle see something that they maybe have not seen or we shut up long enough to listen to what they're telling us and then it ignites a new passion for us and really just like our beliefs our passions should also be fluid now, it doesn't mean that because you're finding a new passion, you're not going to be passionate about your old one. It just means that you have something else to be passionate about as well. You know, Dustin, because of his cabinet working, anything that he needs, he usually builds. 
And it's just because it's, it's who he is. You know, I know when we needed a better drying rack for when we were spraying these cabinets, he was like, Oh, I'll just build one. And that's just what he does with everything. And it really kind of got ignited from starting his cabinet business and figuring out how to do it and, and really screwing up a few times to figure out what not to do. And, and then moving forward and understanding that, uh, and I believe that's also a big, uh, an important point we should touch on is that like setbacks are lessons for us to learn. They're not something to completely derail us. It's not like, Oh man, maybe I should just give up cabinets. I suck because I, you know, messed up this one cabinet. It's really like, okay, where did I miss, you know, where did I mismeasure? Where did I, you know, mess up my machine? Did I not set my machine right? Did I plane to him? What, what happened here? And as a result, we get better. And really, if we start looking at these challenges as a way to do better, as a lesson of, okay, well, I thought I knew what I was doing, but I screwed up here. Where did I screw up? It becomes a beautiful tool for life mastery. And that's what, what really this all is all about. Let's, let's challenge ourselves. Let's, you know, do things we've never done before that we don't know how to do knowing we're not going to have the, all the tools to do it along the way. But when we fail at something, then it's an opportunity to learn and grow and get better at what we're doing. You know, one of my favorite things to say on the show is fail early, fail often and fail forward. And it just means that we have to change our mindset around failure. We have not done anything in our life that we didn't fail at first. And that's, what's beautiful is we can fail. We can learn. We can put those pieces together. If you have a group of experts around you, maybe you can put those pieces together a little bit faster and then we can do better. Well, I've got a story for that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Let's hear what it is. Okay. So I, I, I'm trying to start a, um, a winery and a cidery, right? And we procured some equipment last, last year and we started processing cider. And when we do one batch, we, we process and grind about 1800 pounds of apples each time. And my first batch completely failed. And I wasn't quite sure why it, it was oxidized. It, um, it didn't have the right taste. Um, so we did it again and we do this all by hand. Uh, we, we have an electric grinder, but moving 1800 pounds of apples at a time for, for the both of us, it's a considerable amount of work. And the second time failed, we learned, you know, we learned a few things each time. We learned how to use sulfites. We, we learned how to um, control temperatures in the fermenter. Um, and each time we failed, and we failed three times in total, so it all got tossed. We, th we, we processed about 6,000 pounds of apples that was completely a waste. Um, but the fourth time, in fact... Let me see here. It was late December and I, I had given up. I had tried three times and I had failed all three times. And I looked for a mentor and found one. And I started talking to one of the major producers uh, who he his distribu distribution is national. But uh, he gave me some information and, and some photos of his operation. And I thought, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this one more time. But this time, my wife made me do it all by myself. <laughs> and it turned out phenomenal. 
I took every bit of information that I could from this this gentleman and my men, my new mentor, and um, I produced something that was quite phenomenal, and we'll be able to reproduce it. But we had to fail <laughs> so many times, <laughs> so epically, um, in order to learn all the lessons that we needed and understand their value. Um, and and that's how we did it with cabinetry years ago. Um, exactly the same thing. I had to fail quite a number of times, learn how to fix it. And, and in so doing, uh, learned how to not do make that mistake again. So yeah, I'd like that you say that. What, what, what was it again? It's fail uh, often, fail early, fail often and fail forward. I like that. It's a, it's a quote from one of my superheroes, Peter Diamandis, and, uh, and it's just absolutely amazing. And it's true, you know, especially cabinetry. That was, uh, of course, one that I was uh, involved with. And I still remember the very first um, time that I started finish spraying and how many drips and how like it was pretty, uh, pretty horrible. But I learned from it. I learned that, oh, I, I can't just cover the whole thing and how I want to look with just one spray. Oh, okay, let's figure out how to do this better, you know, and and really fine tuning how to get it. And, you know, I wouldn't say that I was the absolute best, but I was a lot better than when I very first started. And it would never have happened if I didn't learn what not to do. And, you know, I think all of us goes in and we have this idea of what we think we should do. And we learn very quickly, you know, that reality is doesn't really work that way. And so as a result of it, we end up, you know, doing better or hopefully doing better, you know, and that's the whole mindset around this is that like, it's not only okay to fail, it's necessary to fail. And the only difference between someone who's actually going to achieve it and who doesn't is going to be the one who has the mindset of understanding and learning from that failure. You know, same thing with AI, same thing with autonomous cars. If you think about Tesla, they're still having issues with their, their driving system, even though it's came a lot further. And this is the infrastructure that is needed for it to actually work. It needs to fail. We need to see where it's going to screw up and we need to like pivot and adapt as a result of it. At least he's doing something, right? <laughs> there's, there's plenty of people that are criticizing but, you know, I, I guess, what is the saying? Those that say it should not, cannot be done, should keep their mouths closed. Oh, what was it? I'll have to think of that. But <laughs> <laughs> not bother the people that are actually doing it. Yeah, it's kind of along the lines of Henry Ford of those who say they can or they can't, they're right. Oh, well, there, that's another one. Yeah, that's 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 absolutely true. Yeah, those that say it should, cannot be done should not bother those that are doing it. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, I, I have heard that one. And that one's absolutely incredible. And it's it's true. It's like, you know, the same thing with the infrastructure of, of electric vehicles right now. And I hear this argument all the time. Well, it's not really, you know, viable for, you know, going across country and having to find places and having to make the time to stop all this stuff. And I'm like, well, of course not. We just barely invented this. Like we're not, you think that in the model A that you could hop in your model A and drive across the country and have a gas station at every single, like it didn't exist. You know what the model A was good for farms. 
because that's the only place where they had gas, you know, like the infrastructure wasn't in place to get there. What we're seeing right now is where we're failing and how to do better, where we are literally uh, building the infrastructure for this to work. And will it be electric? Ultimately, honestly, I really don't think so. I think it's going to be a hybrid of maybe electric and hydrogen, but like, doesn't matter. This is like progress. And this is what we're seeing. We're in the middle of, of, of a revolution of how vehicles work, of how airplanes work, of how everything works. And we're building the infrastructure right now for it to do better. I love electric cars. I do not own an electric car. The reason why I love electric cars is because like anything in technology, it's going to have a different application. So if I need to Let's just say I have a warehouse and I need to move something from point A to point B and it weighs so much. Then I can literally find, nowadays, I can literally find an electric uh, piece of equipment, heavy equipment that was typically just diesel. Uh, so if I need a skid steer that's electric, I can find one. And it doesn't have the toxic uh, fumes, you know, the exhaust uh, that that is diesel equivalent would have. And so I can fill that application. If I'm in a warm environment, um, an electric vehicle is going to be more appropriate. It's going to fulfill a, um, especially if I have solar available to me, like um, in Las Vegas, where solar is very prevalent. Um, there's a solar farm right above Las Vegas. It's enormous, but that's where they get a lot of their electrical from. And it's a warm environment. Then electric vehicle is going to fit that application perfectly. Um, I wouldn't necessarily drive one here in Idaho where it's, you know, much colder. It depends. I, like where I'm at, it's a little bit warmer and it would be okay. There's plenty of Teslas here. But if I were to go up north where or in a growing zone four, then probably not because there's only a few months where it's warm and uh, electric vehicles don't do quite as well. But the technology is new and we haven't refined it to its potential. And if we don't have growth in technology, then we restrict our uh, And also the fact is, at some point in time, we're going to uh, run out of gas. It's not an indefinite product that we can consume forever. At some point in time, it ends. And I don't know when that is, but if we don't work on our infrastructure to handle a technology to replace it, and right now, starting right now, then we won't be ready to convert over to something else when it runs out. Absolutely. Well, and, and what's so uh, beautiful about this and really kind of um, just adding to the mindset it takes to make things better is we are literally in the infancy of this. We're in the infancy of electric cars. And part of the reason that Dustin was saying these cars don't do well in cold weather environments is because of the uh, lithium ion batteries, because this gel that essentially freezes when it's too cold. And so your, your car is dead. You can't do anything with it until it gets warm enough. Well, we've known this. We've also known about solid state batteries. We know that this could be a solution. The problem has been we have not been able to make them on a, um, a scalable level that's going to work with electric cars. They, they're, they're just really hard to create. And as a result of the process that it's been taking, then uh, it wasn't applicable until now 
for electric vehicles. But what just happened, and this is just that, that progress that we're talking about, is they are now able to 3D print a solid state battery in one solid step. So they don't have to add layers. They don't have to do anything except be able to print it and it's scalable. And as a result of this, this is the progression we're talking about. Like when you fail and you say, okay, electric vehicles are pretty amazing where they're at, but we can't have them in a lot of areas because of this thing. How do we solve it? Well, a lot of people started trying to figure out how to solve it. And so as a result of that, we're seeing things like solid state batteries come online, which there's no gel between them. That's not how they charge. And as a result of that, it makes them more applicable in places like Northern Idaho, Canada, Alaska, all these different places where literally electric vehicles just wouldn't make sense before. But now we're getting to the point where, Hey, maybe, maybe we have something, maybe not. I don't know. I've, we, they haven't been tested. We haven't really done it yet. We're in the process of it. So maybe this is the first step onto something better and, and likely that's what's going to happen, but it is a first step to progress it even further. And that's how this works. That's how we, you know, we progress as a species, how we get better. And, and I truly believe, like you were saying that electric vehicles are going to be one of the answers for, progressing away from fossil fuels which we know we have to do like that's that's inevitable right. you know it's just going to be a part of it um and and what options do we have i mean we have electric vehicles hydrogen hydrogen is incredibly inefficient because of thermic loss in order to convert from state to state um electric is is a great option because it's um more efficient thermically well yeah it's more efficient to just charge it and then go rather than converting it from state to state as you do in hydrogen. But either way, like when we create a market like we did with electric vehicles, now we can uh, give a market to better technology. We're going to, we're going to eventually replace the lithium ion battery. Um, we're going to develop something that's better. And as that continues to happen, then we'll, we'll have a better product that reaches other applications or better applications. Eventually we're going to need cold weather batteries. Well, you mentioned uh, technology that is already applicable for that, but that's a great example for, for why that's so important. Why, why we need to keep um, supporting uh, technology changes. Uh, it's human instinct to, fight change that would be the conservative mindset uh to go back to what you previously held as a belief system and reject new information um i understand that um but that that is most of the problem um even if the new technology doesn't necessarily like if an electric car does not um run as well as a diesel it doesn't matter. We still need the electric car because we need to look at other solutions and see how far we can um, advance them. And eventually we're going to run out of diesel. That's just the, the fact of it that I think a lot of people forget. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think that we, uh, in this whole uh, kind of debate and, and opposite sides of it, we really forget that it doesn't really matter because the whole reason why this is a, a 
conversation in the first place is because we see that the the writing's on the wall for at least one energy source. So how do we pivot way before that actually happens? So that way we already have the infrastructure in place to do something else, to do better. And yeah. That's really what it's about. It might take a lifetime for us to do that, but now's a great time to get started. And, and sometimes when it comes to just our economy, our infrastructure, sometimes there, there needs to be a market for it before it happens. This is kind of like your roads, right? Sometimes there's too much traffic and everybody gets bottled up before the DOT decides to create the roads that you need, right? So we need electric vehicles in order to push the infrastructure to handle them. Um, and other, other bright ideas that might be there to, to um, support that. I'm not an expert when it comes to electric vehicles, but I think that the idea of getting, you know, solar panels on my roof and using that to charge my vehicle, uh, that's a great way to become independent uh, or off the grid, you could say. And um, I I don't know what the carbon, um, how would you say the environmental impact that uh, an electric car has on carbon, the carbon cycle after it's manufactured it I, I can't imagine the attractive but um i don't look at it quite like that i look at it as new technology that has an application that's going to be necessary when we simply run out of fossil fuels to burn so yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see just how how things progress. And uh, and one thing I just want to mention before I uh, ask you my last question for the the episode here is um, it's the same thing we're seeing with cryptocurrency right now too. We're seeing um, this this fascinating new way of being able to spend money. And really, if we understand crypto and what it was born out of, it was born out of being able to. Uh, spend money in other countries without having a third party. And uh, when we truly understand the power of crypto and what we're seeing right now with like the FTX crash and, and the fraud going on is we're getting out all the bugs of what, of the infrastructure that is being put in place. And, uh, and there's, you know, all kinds of different controversy and, and opinions of it. But it is something that I do believe is going to be a part of the future of, of commerce, of our country, of, you know, of the world, and, uh, and this decentralized uh, currency that can be tracked, that can be assigned to something specific, that it's there its whole life, um, means that we can take control of this currency and have a whole, whole new different way of being able to um, spend money and actually take it out of the hands of sometimes corrupt individuals that are, um, you know, taking advantage of people. Like for instance, the workers here in New York, there's um, a, a, this one country over in Africa where they were um, a third of their economy comes from money from New York that are sending money back home. And as a result of having to, you know, pay third-party vendors to get it there, fees were ridiculous. Stuff wasn't getting there. There was a lot of corruption in it, and Bitcoin itself was essentially 
born out of this way to solve this issue. And so when we truly understand how things are changing and really the mindset it takes to say, I'm going to literally change the way, you know, finances work within this, this system is we're seeing the infrastructure, we're seeing where it's failing and we're doing better as a result of it. And I don't think that it's going to, going to go anywhere. I think that, um, you know, we get scared, we, we pivot, we change, you know, there is some fraud that we have to look at and figure out how to put some checks and balances there. But as a result of it all, it's getting better. And, and really it's the future of, of the world economy. I think that for our next um, conversation, we should talk about business money. Um, these are two things that <clears throat> um, I've worked with quite a bit. And uh, as a business consultant, um, as a day trader, I have a lot of history with uh, an education in macroeconomics and things like that. And I think that we should take these ideas and discuss them. Um, I, I am not necessarily against or, or pro um, cryptocurrency. And I would like to hear more about your ideas on that. Um, but I'm also going to offer some criticism towards crypto cryptocurrency in, in that um it it might solve some problems for the for for a large group of people, but it may not necessarily be the best investment for the individual, depending on a person's situation. Um, and that and that has nothing to do with any kind of strength or weakness that the cryptocurrency has. It has more to do with how a person manages their wealth in order to gain more wealth. Um, and. Uh, that's something I'm 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 particularly knowledgeable about, um, and might benefit us having a conversation about next. I would love that. I'd absolutely love that. I wanna. Um, that's one thing that I've actually been focusing on lately. You know, reading Money Master the Game and opening up my IRA for the first time, and and getting that started, and trying to, um, like we've been talking about, just figure out what I don't know and, and really understand from people that are much, much better at this than, than of course I am. Uh, so I think that would be an absolutely incredible conversation to, to learn from um, that perspective with you. Uh, before I let you go for the day though, I'm curious, what is, uh, what is next for Dustin? What is, yeah, I know uh, at a previous conversation, we had talked about uh, you possibly doing more Airbnbs and kind of getting involved in that space. Um, but really the, the bigger picture I'm after is what is the impact that Dustin wants to have on humanity? Um, so I do not need more money. I am living the rest of my life for the benefit of the life experience. So I think there's, there's nothing wrong with pursuit, the pursuit of, making more money or becoming successful but at some point in your in time in your life now i'm i'm 42 42 yeah and <laughs> i forgot there for a second but <laughs> um but at some point you have to ask yourself how many more years are you going to be on this earth and i figure i'm going to have at least if i'm lucky 30 to 40 years at most um and then what do i want that to look like and so I've got my bucket list. 
I, I've, for some reason, I've always wanted to have um, passions in some kind of agriculture. And now I'm in viticulture. I've always wanted to have a winery. Um, and so uh, I've been looking at land and we might end up uh, procuring some, some land at some point in time and going that route. Um, I'm also looking at other products that I'd like to manufacture as far as beverages. So we started doing kombucha, um, things without alcohol as well. Um, let's see here. We've got the aviary. I'll be graduating here pretty soon. I, I have spent most of my adult life in school. <laughs> this is, I think my sixth major that I've pursued, um, for the, for the sole purpose of, of getting educated in it, I, I've never looked at a uh, degree as necessarily something that was totally worth um, having, but this time I will actually finish. Um, I I had a passion for just learning everything. And so by the time I would get to close to the end of my, my degree, I would move to something else. I don't think that was a good decision, but um, I just wanted to know a little bit about everything. I wanted to be a Renaissance man and I would say that I know a good amount about most things, but I'm not an expert in anything. Um, and that, that was worth it. But yeah, it's all really about the life experience. Uh, yeah. Living the life experience and living a life of passion and learning as you do. I, I love uh -huh. it. Um, that's, that's absolutely amazing. And I really, I'm excited to see where you go and what you do with everything and, and definitely excited for this uh, future conversation on business and, and my macro economics and all of it. Dustin, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. I always have uh, just enlightening conversations with you every time I, I see you, every time I talk to you, and I always appreciate you, uh, you sharing your knowledge and, and sharing your perspectives on things. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> absolutely. You have a great day. You too.